When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. We're so excited that you have decided to join us here in the Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. So let, let's talk about a little uh, you know, calendars with the with Christmas coming up. Uh, I'll be on vacation for two weeks at the end of the year. So the last Bible study that we will do in 2021 will actually be on December the 15th. So make a note of that. Uh, on the 15th, we will finish, uh, Lord willing, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, and then we'll come back on January 5. Uh, that'll be our first Bible study of 2022, and we will begin a journey through the great book of Genesis. Uh, we're going to go through the book of Genesis. That probably will go on for an entire year. Uh, so uh, that's uh, that's a pretty big book. Uh, it's mighty. Uh, it was you know it was through prayer and talking to my wife, Sherry, and um, uh, there was some discussion about us walking through the Revelation, which which we will do. Uh, at some point, and my wife said something very profound. She said, I don't think uh, that you can truly understand the end if you don't fully understand the beginning. So uh, so we're going to, I thought that was a, a profound word from God to my wife, so we will. Uh, we'll go through the book of Genesis, and you will see that the entire Bible uh, is about Jesus. And I've had some people, too, say, you know, I'd like a little more Old Testament, so that'd be great. We'll do that. So uh, if you have your Bible today, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, we ended uh, on verse 10. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 11. Uh, Bubba, if you want to write that down. Uh, verse 11, and then we're going to pick up in verse 12 today and try to work our way through verse 34. So that's where we're going to be today. Now let me hit you with a couple of notes, the things you need to know about the month of December. Uh, there are three man churches in the month of December that if this is your part of the world, uh, why don't you get out and try to attend these? These are three of our guys from Team Man Church. For themanchurch.com, Lee Moore, uh, who is going to meet with a whole association of churches uh, in Ashland, Alabama, on December the 6th. That's coming up on Monday. So Monday night, uh, Olive Branch Baptist Church in Ashland, Alabama, from Team Man Church, Lee Moore will be there. And, and what's kind of cool about this, if you're a church in that area, Lee is going to be talking about our strategy, how it works, how you can implement it, and then that association will give all the men in that area and those churches an opportunity to plug into the curriculum uh, and start the strategy. Uh, Lee will also just be giving a, a message of challenge. Uh, so uh, be sure and go see Lee Moore, December the 6th, Ashland, Alabama, Olive Branch Baptist. On December the 11th, Mark Garnett goes to West Mobile Baptist Church. They've started the strategy. This will be their next man church. Mark Garnett will be there. Uh, so December the 11th for those of you in uh, Mobile, Alabama, and the surrounding areas. Also, uh, Mac Brunson, my pastor from uh, Valleydale Church in Birmingham. Uh, Mac Brunson is going to First Baptist Church Opelika. He'll be there on December the 16th. First Baptist Church Opelika, even through the whole pandemic, they have gone through two full curriculums. Uh, they have done eight different man churches. Uh, and so they'll be ending their second curriculum with Mac Brunson as their teacher and their speaker. Uh, you're welcome to join them, uh, or if you go there, be sure you're there. Uh, and they'll end the second curriculum. And if you've never heard uh, Mac Brunson uh, preach and teach, you are missing out. So if you can get there, 
make plans to, to be there because uh, you you will not want to miss any of these men. Uh, but Mac, uh, this is his first time to speak for us with themanchurch.com, and we're very excited about him joining our team as well. So a couple other things. If you're looking for gift ideas uh, that you'd like to give the men on your Christmas list, uh, list themanchurch.com has all kinds of cool stuff uh, available for men uh, in our store. But I also want to make a note that, that look at two conferences we're having in 2022 very early. One of them is called the Man Event. Uh, we'll be uh, speaking in Pensacola, Florida at Olive uh, Baptist Church there in Pensacola. Uh, we'll be there. Charles Billingsley leading worship. Hugh Freeze will give his testimony. Powerful about what he and his wife went through. That was very public, as you know. And he'll talk about where he is spiritually now and what's going on with him and his wife. Great story. Uh, and then uh, I'll get an opportunity to speak that night. And also, I'll get an opportunity to speak with my wife, Sherry. She'll be there, and, and the men will hear from a woman's point of view You know how they see us as their husbands and as the fathers of their children. A very unique opportunity there. The Man Church, those tickets are on sale now at themanchurch.com or burgessministries.com under events. February 18th and 19th, Charles Billingsley leading worship. Andy Blanks from themanchurch.com. I'll be speaking, but also Jonathan Evans will join us in Dothan, Alabama at the Civic Center. Uh, this is our third year to have this conference, the 18th and the 19th, and we'll also kick off our third curriculum uh, that night, our brand-new one for 2022 called Be, Be Disciples. So if you're looking to get some guys something for Christmas, tickets to either one or both of these conferences, a great idea. So go out and get those. Those tickets are on sale now. All right, let's, uh, let's open in a word of prayer, and then let's jump right into our lesson today from 1 Corinthians 15. Lord, uh, we just thank you. Here we are at this time of year, and uh, we're we're just we're just blown away uh, by how gracious you have been to to all of us by coming to us when we could not come to you, uh, coming to us as one hundred percent God, and then taking on one hundred percent man uh, through the virgin birth, uh, and not taking on the sin of Adam that we'll discuss today, uh, uh, as Paul discusses that a little in in, in 1 Corinthians fifteen. Uh, but, Lord, we just celebrate uh, redemption, and uh, that redemption has been fulfilled. And, Lord, thank you for giving us the hope that we could not find in, in any other way. Uh, may you take this lesson and may you present it in a way that is pleasing to you. Please remove all of my uh, ineptness, uh, all my shortcomings, uh, as you are perfect, and may you deliver your perfect message. And may not only those men in the room, uh, the men and women listening around the world, but that I may hear it clearly. Uh, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so let's let's go to First uh, Corinthians fifteen. Now, last week we kind of talked about what was going on at the first part of First Corinthians, uh, and that is that that Paul has um, he's dealing with these Greeks, and and then the, some of the uh, those that had come from the Sadducees, Sadducees that of the Jewish community. Bottom line is he was dealing with all the people that did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, uh, and he's he's talking about that, and he and last week. You know, he was pretty clear about the different things that prove that the resurrection of Christ did take place. And he's going to go today and he's going to say, so if, if, if all this I just told you uh, is undeniable, then if Christ has been raised, then we certainly will be raised as well. And uh, the, the dead will be raised. And, and he's talking to them about the, res- the resurrection of the dead uh, for those that uh, have been redeemed or even unredeemed. That is going to happen and then there'll be the final judgment, which we'll get into. Now, we're going to get a little deep at one part of this about the millennial reign and all that, and we'll just kind of walk through that. Uh, as someone called the show today and said they enjoy the Bible study, they said because you 
take the Bible and you talk to us uh, uh, in a way that sounds like a C student from Calhoun County and we can understand it. Well, I'll attempt that today. We're going we're to get pretty deep right around verse 20 uh, today, so just be prepared for that. But we can certainly just simply go with what the Bible says, and I'll let you know that there may be some different opinions about some of the details, but in general, the Bible is pretty clear, uh, and, uh, and that part is where we'll kind of land today. So let's start with verse 12. So Paul, which I, I was really moved by last week, uh, these verses when Paul talks about that he was the least of the apostles uh, and that it was only by the grace of God that he had been redeemed because of his persecution of the church, but uh, that, that God was going to get a return on that grace. Uh, that, 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 that grace that he was afforded was not going to be in vain. So he starts in 12 after he talked about this, and he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? And that's kind of the point I just made. Paul's like, all right, so I've established to you that all of us being part of this church, if you're part of this church and you've been redeemed by Christ, well, the only way you've been redeemed is the fact that he completed it by raising himself from the dead. Or, or if you understand how the triune trinity works, the Holy Spirit raised the Son from the dead. And, um, and he says, so if Christ has been raised, then how can some of you still double down on this? There's no go- they're not going to be any resurrection of the dead. Uh, he says, but if, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So if you're saying it's impossible for a dead person to be raised from the dead, then you've got to come to the conclusion that Christ was not raised from the dead, and if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we got problems. Remember that. We always talk about this all the time. If you're looking for any version, and I'm using quotes now, of Christianity that takes the gospel and changes it in any way, like they give you some form of Jesus where he's not 100%, he's not 100% man and 100% God, that's a problem because now we don't have the, the final Lamb of God. The requirement hasn't been met. And then if anybody tells you, well, I think he was a good man, I think he taught some good things, but he really didn't raise us here from the dead, that part we don't believe. Well, Paul's saying, if you, if you alter any of this, then we haven't been redeemed at all because that's the only way we could be redeemed for all that to have taken place as prophecy and as God, a holy God, required. Uh, verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He doubles down. Guys, you can't take part of this and not believe it and all of us still be okay. We, you, this, this resurrection of the dead is not for debate. Christ raised himself from the dead, and if he can raise himself from the dead, he will certainly raise the dead from the dead as well. Remember the, the story of Lazarus. Uh, he, he looks at, at Mary, Jesus, and he says that he is the resurrection and the life, right? He says that. He says, and, and anyone who believes in me, though he be dead, yet so he will live. And then he looks at Mary, and what does he say? Do you believe this? And why is he asking her that? Because he's about to do it. And why is he doing it? To show that he can. To prove that he is who he says he is. As I've said many times, and sometimes it gets a chuckle, sometimes at some of our man churches, uh, Lazarus just died again. So, so Jesus wasn't doing this to say that I'll go around and raise every sick person from the dead. What he's saying is at one point, I'm going to raise the dead from the dead. Not, not, not I'm going to say you were dead, I'm going to bring you back, and you're going to start living your life again. I can raise the dead from the dead. Let me show you that. Now, Lazarus, you go ahead and just die again because me raising you from the dead is to show that I can ultimately deliver you from eternal death. I'm showing you I have the power, and I'm showing you I can raise the dead. So, uh, so he says, so if that's not true, 
then what we've been preaching is not true, and the faith that you have that supposedly redeemed you, that's not true either. Verse 15, we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. He says, all right, there's another problem. So first of all, our whole message is out of whack, and then we've turned around and we've told a lie about God. If y'all don't believe in the resurrection, I've been going around, you've been going around, we're supposed to be believing that God raised his son from the dead. If we're now saying that he couldn't raise his son from the dead, we've now told a lie about God. You, you see what he's saying? He said if you're, you, the gospel that you believe must be pure. You can't go around altering it because it, it's like a domino effect. It all becomes unraveled. Um, and I told you last week um, that, you know, that we have uh, many apologists that will go out and say, Gary Habermas being one that I talked about last week, and you can see his evidence in the book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christ. And if you're someone who's searching, The Case for Christ is a great read. There's also a great movie there, too, because here's Lee Strobel, a, a reporter in Chicago, right, in Chicago, and he takes his reporting skills, and he's going to prove uh, that his, um, his wife, who's now said that she's been redeemed to become a Christian, he's going to prove that she's wrong. So he goes out and says, I'm going to see if there's any evidence of the resurrection. It comes back that the resurrection absolutely happened. Uh, and, and in the book that he wrote, Gary Habermas was one of the people he interviewed that says, I just focus on the resurrection because if Jesus was raised from the dead, that's a game changer. And, uh, and so, um, so that's kind of what Paul is saying too. This is not something we can just take out of our message. Uh, and he says in 16, he said, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Hmm. Now I want you to think about that possibility. Paul is saying, guys, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then when he said it is finished on the cross, he wasn't really who he said he was. Because when he came back, that was the game changers we talked about last week for so many people, even his own disciples. Because let's face it, if you walked around with Jesus for three years, and you saw him be crucified, and you saw him die, and you saw the sword. You know, this is one of those things that was just, I find, to be absolutely ridiculous. And that is any of these false religions that believe that Jesus was here, because historically you can't, you can't take him out of history. This person who, who, who claimed to be the Son of God, he, he's, he's in history. It did happen. So... These people that think that somehow Jesus was this great teacher that we should all kind of listen to, but when they put him on the cross, which historically happened, he really didn't die. His, his disciples, because of the coming of, of, of the Sabbath, they were, they, were, they were rushing to get this body off the cross, and they took him down while he was still not dead, and then they went off and they pretended he rose from the dead. Now, for you to believe that, you have to believe that the Roman Empire, will let some disciples of a guy named Jesus roll up to them and say, can we go ahead and have our friend's body? And the Romans just said, sure, go ahead, no problem. The, the Romans, did, they didn't have any issue killing people. This, they, they were very good at it. And they're not just going to let you walk up and circumvent Caesar's power and say, oh, by the way, I know that y'all are in charge and y'all trying to oppress us and be sure that we don't rise up, but if you wouldn't mind, we're kind of tired of standing out here. We got this you know, Sabbath thing, it's about to take place. Could we just have his body? 
And the Ron was just said, oh, sure, go ahead and take it. Uh, also, the sword in the side, that was kind of a big deal. You know, they didn't have any problem trying to rush him to his death, but they were not going to hand him off with him not being dead. Uh, that just, that's, just, that's just lunacy to think that. So if that didn't happen, then when he walks around after he was dead and says, here I am, and reminds them that they told him he was going to do this, and they all laid hands on him, John tells us this in 1 John, in his epistle, you know, he says, don't listen to the Gnostics because I'm a firsthand witness. I put my hands on him. And I, and I think it's funny to really catch that moment from John and First John because we always talk about that Thomas wanted to touch him to be sure that he really wasn't a spirit or something like that or a ghost. Sounds like once that Jesus told him to go ahead, they all went ahead and went over and did that. Because even John says, hey, I put my hands on him too. I touched him. I'm a firsthand witness. I saw him after the resurrection. So Paul is saying, if you don't believe this, then it was not completed. And if redemption was not completed, I got bad news for all of us. We're still in our sin. Because it was only Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection that gave us the ability to be made fully righteous. Without that, we have not been made fully righteous, which means we can't step into the presence of, of a holy God with one speck of sin. Never forget what we've taught here for years. Don't you let anybody tell you that you don't have to be perfect to step into the presence of God the Father. Yes, you do. You have to be perfect. What does Jesus say? I make you perfect as my Father is perfect. You must be perfect as my Father is perfect. But this is the part that's the good news. We can't do it. That's impossible. But Jesus can. Unless, Paul says, he's not who he says he was unless he didn't raise himself from the dead. 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, if Christ has not been raised and Christ cannot raise the dead, he said, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they have perished. There's no hope for them. Paul is saying this is not something we should be playing games with here. This is not some frivolous point that you Greeks have never believed in a resurrection of the dead. And, uh, and that the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. This is, a, this is a really big deal. You can't take this out. And he said, and, and we've been preaching that, that God raised his son, the Holy Spirit raised the son, from, from the dead. And if that didn't happen, then ev- no one's been forgiven of their sin. And those who have died in Christ, they died in vain, and really they've perished. He's trying to make them understand how important this is, because look at 19. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied because we believed a lie. And you know what he's saying? It's something we all need to hear. And I, I think part of what we've all been going through right now, and, and we all have things that we go through as individuals, and then we have things like some of the stuff that's going on in the world now that we go through as a world and as a people, as a country. I believe that God loves us so much that he's making it so much easier on us to leave this place. Is this all there is? That's what Paul's saying. He said, if all Christ can do is give you the life that you have now, so that's all he did. He, he didn't give you a life to come. He just he, he, He's just so powerless. All he's given you is the life you have now. Well, if this is all there is, then we above all people should be pitied because we thought there was something more. 
And if he wasn't raised from the dead, we were wrong. And this is all we got. What was it C.S. Lewis said? Those that have not been redeemed, this is the only heaven they're ever going to see. But for those that have been redeemed, this is the only hell you're ever going to see. But if, but if Christ has not been raised, then this is it. And I don't know about y'all. I know what, you know, the, the thing that, that kind of joins us all together is one church and one people is I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we've all got stuff. We may not have the same stuff, but we all got stuff. And what I mean by that, we all suffer. We all have had terrible things happen. We've all experienced horrible things. And if we haven't, unfortunately, you probably will. And I would really, really hate to know that this is it. And and, I, and I've had those moments in my life that I just said, man, this is not how it's supposed to be. And it's not because this, this world has fallen. But, but we serve a God that we're celebrating this time of year that said, I could walk away from this. I am holy. You are not. You have rebelled against me, and I could walk away from this, and it would not impact me in the least because I'm God. Y'all don't make me any better. But he's so gracious and so merciful, he said, but even though y'all don't make me any better, I can make you better. I can turn you into something that I'm more comfortable with, though you are not allowed to turn me into something you're more comfortable with. So I will come to you because you can't come to me. Now, that, now see, that's something to celebrate. That's something to get excited about. And, and so Paul says, so if we're going to abandon that by claiming there's no resurrection, then we should be pitied because we have false hope. Verse 20. But in fact, I love that, but God, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. All right, now here, now we're getting into some of the deeper stuff, this first fruits thing. Do you remember me talking about that before? Uh, we, we've covered this a little bit, this, this concept of, of first fruits, um, and we have noted this, but I, some of you may not have gotten all this or maybe you didn't make notes that day i want you to write down this comment about first fruits we'll see it in verse 20 and verse 23 um go to uh, you don't have to go there but write this down leviticus 23 verses 9 through 14 remember jesus is fulfilling everything everything in the old testament all the rituals all the feast all the celebrations they're all pointing ultimately to the final lamb of god right we all know that so Paul uses this term first fruits because this was one of their festivals. This is, this is, he's using this analogy that, that what Jesus is. And what would happen, you know, remember, as, as the Lamb of God, Jesus died on Passover. And if you remember everything he went through, it looked just like a Passover lamb. And, and then they would take the first grains or the first fruits and they would have a, a, a kind of a sheaf and they would bind it all together. And, um, and, and so what would happen is, you know, when, in, in the Old Testament is uh, the, the priest would take this after the harvest and would walk out on the first day of the week, on the first day of the week, and he would hold up that bundle of the grain 
and he would say, this is the first fruits of the harvest. This is the first ones we took. And he would go, he would go out saying, but he is the God of the entire harvest. Here's the first, but he, this signals that God is the God of our entire harvest. And so what Paul's talking about, when Jesus rose from the dead three days later, on the first day of the week, when the priests waved the sheaf of the first fruits before the Lord, it was a sign that the entire harvest belonged to God. Not just this. This is symbolic. I'm, ho- I'm ho- acting like I'm holding up a sheaf right now. It's, this is symbolic of the entire harvest. It's all God's. So what Jesus did, he said, when he walked out of that tomb on the first day of the week, raised from the dead, this is good. This is really good. That this is God's assurance that to us that we shall also be raised one day as part of a future harvest. When he walked out, I was the first one to be raised from the dead, but you all going to be raised from the dead. I'm the first fruit. But this is a signal that everybody in me will be. It all you all will be raised. So that's the, that's what Paul's talking about when he uses this first fruit, that we will be believers. To us, death is only going to sleep. That's what that means. The body sleeps, but the soul is at home with the Lord. Now, if you want to know where that's found, that's actually in Second Corinthians. So that's Second Corinthians five one through eight when it talks about this concept. And Paul also talks to the church at Philippi about this in Philippians 1, 21 through 23. But then at the resurrection, the body, which is this is what some of these Greeks had a problem with, and the Sadducees absolutely had a problem with, but at the resurrection, meaning that when, when, when the Lord returns, the body will be awakened and it will be in its glorified state. So remember, we talked about this before. We are justified once then we are sanctified for the rest of our life if we continue to abide in Christ and grow. And, and, and as Romans chapter 8 says, if you have truly been justified, then it is predestined that you will be sanctified and that ultimately you will be glorified. And, uh, and those are the stages that we go through. And Paul then comes into talking about the comparison of Adam who brought death as opposed to Christ, who brings life. Look at 21. For as a man came, by a man came death, by a man also the resurrection of the dead. You see that correction? What, what do we call Jesus sometimes? The new Adam. Right, the new Adam. It, you realize what's happening here, right? For those of you that may be new to our faith, what, what's happening here is that the, the first man that was ever made by God, and that's what we believe, was made by God, when that man's sin, when he and in, in, in the first marriage, the first wife, when they decided that they did not have faith in God to decide what was right and wrong, that they wanted to decide that for themselves, that was the ultimate, the, the first sin, pride. We don't, we don't trust you to make, to make a decision on what's right and wrong. We want to make it. Well, we've been doing that ever since, haven't we? So when that happened, then sin enters the world by the first man who who failed us, and then we all have that original sin because we're not born, born of a virgin. Jesus, the baby that we're about to celebrate, he had to be born of a virgin. Why? To not take on the sin of Adam. 
That's why I had to be a miraculous virgin birth. So he didn't take on the sin. He's 100% man, but he's without sin. And then he remains 100% God. That's why it had to be a virgin birth. So what Paul is saying is now this, this first man fails, and here comes the new man. Here comes the new Adam, now perfect. And he said, I've come for one thing, to fulfill the will of my Father. I will not reject him. I will not turn on him. I will follow him resolute all the way to the redemption. So when he pays the price for our sin, he takes on God's wrath. Then he takes what Adam did to us, and he reverses it. And he takes us back to our original state, where we stand again blameless before God, covered by the blood of the new Adam. So, so that's the reason why it had to go the way it went. Why did God have to become a man? Because that's how we all went downhill. It was through a man. So we had to have a perfect man come back and fix this thing. Satan went in there. I know sometimes nobody likes to talk about it, and he pulled it off. Satan went in there, and he said, I tell you what, I'm going to mess this thing up. I'm going I'm to turn this thing upside down. Adam and Eve, they, they turn and go and, and get fooled by Satan. It collapses. But just like we talked about in our study of First and Second Peter, that wonderful moment when Jesus goes and stands before those demons uh, who, 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 who came to earth and uh, were, were part of uh, producing offspring with human women when God destroyed the earth, you saw that Satan kept attempting to come up with his own version of a God-man through, through fallen angels and human women and all of this. And, that, and we know those angels were thrown into, uh, into, really for the lack of a better term, like a prison. And, 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 and Peter starts talking about, look, when Jesus died on the cross at the time that he was waiting to be resurrected on the third day, he went and he stood before those demons and before Satan. And you know what he said? You didn't do it. I beat you. I have, I, I have accomplished what you kept trying to accomplish. I have become the final Lamb of God. I will redeem these people, and you lose. You tried to do your version of a God-man, and, I, and we beat you. It, it is finished. It is done, and you're defeated. And death is going to be defeated. And, and, and so now he walks out of the tomb, and, and, and Paul says, look, he's the new Adam. For as in Adam, verse 22, all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 23, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, there it is again, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Now here's where it's about to get real deep. Verse 24, then comes to the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. 25, for he must reign, and talk about the millennial reign, Hank, stay with me, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. 26, the last enemy to be destroyed, somebody say amen, is death. Is death. Anybody got somebody that's already died? If they're in Christ, that death has been destroyed. Okay? And, and so, so, he, so here's Paul talking about this, 27. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Who? Jesus. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain uh, that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. 28. 
when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who puts all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. All right, nobody panic. Everybody stay with me. All right, so what is what is Paul talking about here? Well, first of all, the Adam part is pretty straightforward. I just explained that. That's that's pretty straightforward. Uh, Paul saw in Adam a type of Jesus Christ by, by way of contrast, and he does this also in Romans chapter 5. You remember our talk about Romans? Go to Romans chapter 5 or underline it, 12 through 21. And, and we, we talked about how Adam was made from, from the earth, and we talked about his disobedience. Uh, and, then, um, and then this order word shows up, the, the word order, in order, verse 23. Uh, it's kind of like a military rank saying that there has to be an order. And we talked about God is a God of order. So the way this is all going to lay out has got to be done the way God says to do it. So what he's talking about, he's now re- starting there in 23. He begins to talk about an order or a sequence in the resurrection. Okay, what, why? why? Why is that important? Well, if, if you look at, uh, write this down, you can go cross-reference here, John 5, remember our study of John, verse 25 through 29, but you'll probably be more familiar with what Paul's talking about here if you go read the Revelation, Revelation 20. Uh, you know, it, it, it indicates there is no such thing taught in Scripture as this general resurrection. Well, there was some sort of resurrection. It was very general. It, it didn't have any order to it. It, it, it wasn't really doing it. Just kind of a... And if you look in Scripture, it says, no, no, all this is done almost like military, defeating death, defeating evil, getting it done. It says when Jesus Christ returns in the air, he'll take his church to heaven, and at that time raise from the dead all who have trusted him and all who have died in the faith. You'll find this, and Paul talks about this in great detail, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And there's the vision. I mean, you see Paul talking about it. So what happens this is the dead in Christ will be raised first. The dead in Christ will be raised first. And, and this is, this is uh, Jesus calling his church to him. And uh, Jesus is called the, he, the resurrection of life, which you see in John chapter 5, which I talked about, verse 29. The resurrection of life. These are those that have actually been redeemed. Now, when Jesus returns to the earth in judgment, this is different, in judgment, and, and, and you see a vision that John sees that undoubtedly the church returns with him. Now, we don't do a whole lot. But we're there because uh, he didn't he didn't seem to need us for this fi- this final battle, which is not much of a battle, by the way. But anyway, so when Jesus returns to the earth in judgment, then the lost will be raised. So see, everybody is going to get raised and stand before the judge Jesus. Then then the, the lost will be raised, and this is called the resurrection of damnation. You find that also. Write this down in John chapter five twenty nine, but also in the Revelation chapter twenty. And if you want to look at the verses where we talk about this order, this order sequence, it's verse 11 through 15. So nobody in the first resurrection will be lost, but nobody in the second resurrection will be saved. So there is a judgment. Everybody's going to be judged, but the redeemed will be judged as you're with me. The unredeemed will be judged, and they will be separated. You see also Paul, I mean John, talking about this and the separation of the sheep and the goats. Now, what is he talking about with the kingdom here? Look at, look at verses 24 through 28. Let's read that again. Then, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So let's look, let's look at what, what, what 
some of the commentary on this. And and I and there'll there'll be commentary that'll vary a little bit here, but in general, uh, everyone kind of agrees this is the sequence. So when Jesus comes to to the earth to judge, he will banish sin for a thousand years. This is called the millennial reign, and Paul's talking about this, the millennial reign. Can you imagine for there to be a thousand years that we will live the way God intended, with Jesus totally in charge, and for a thousand years we'll live with no sin and with the way things should have been? So it says, and then that establishes his kingdom. Now you can find this in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. Revelation 20, 1 through 6. Believers will reign with him and share his glory and authority. And as I've said, uh, Sherry's very excited because apparently I'm going to have a glorified body at this time, and she deserves that. All right? So, so anyway, so believers will reign with him and share his glory and authority. The kingdom, the one that's prophesied in the Old Testament, I've told you this, will be called what? The millennium. And if you look at the, prof- uh, the prophetic teachers, they say that. The word comes from the Latin malay thousand, and then, of course, year in the latter part, the uh, the annual part. But even after the millennium, and this is a part that blows my mind, but it is, it's clear in the revelation, but after the millennium, there will be one final rebellion against God. Now, I, every time I see that, I'm just like, Lord, what in the world? Um, Sherry and I have talked about it. She said, I think this is just more refinement. I think that God is going to when, when we are back in his presence and we are with him and he is with us as it was originally intended, praise be to Jesus that accomplished that. My wife had a great statement. She said, I think he's going to be sure that there's nobody that rebels against him again. He's going to make sure that everybody is tested and refined and we got nobody left that can't be trusted. So Revelation 27 through 10 talks about this. Revelation 27 through 10. Jesus Christ will put down, uh, Jesus will stop this rebellion with his power. And by the way, he does it without much help from anybody. The lost will be raised, judged, and cast into the lake of fire. Then death itself shall be cast into hell, and the last enemy will be destroyed. Jesus Christ will have put all things under his feet. He will then turn the kingdom over to the Father, and then the eternal state, the new heavens, and the new earth, shall be ushered in. And if you want to read, every time that I talk to somebody who is struggling, uh, death has come into their life, sickness has come into their life, despair has come into their life, Uh, sometimes by things that might have been choices, but many times by things they really had no control over. And the thing that, that, that Sherry and I have both tried to end every discussion that we've had walking through Scripture on who God is and all this, we always go to Revelation 20. And we say, and here's what you have to know. This is not the way it's always going to be. This is going to be resolved. And this is the part where we see Jesus wiping away every tear. Uh, sickness will be no more. Taking away all pain, no more death, no more mourning. And this is when Jesus says, behold, that I make, I make all things new. So this is the process. You know, now I want to be clear on this, this order that I just laid out, I've, I've gone, I went through several commentary. This, this is Waresby talking about it that I'm holding here, but I, I've looked at John Phillips and I've looked at um, uh, Matthew Henry and, and some of these other commentators. Now, I'm going to tell you, people that I believe are going to share eternity with us, they don't all agree on the details of this prophetic program. They don't all agree on it. So just know that. But the major truths of what I just laid out 
seems to be pretty much consistent and clear uh, through all the commentaries. Uh, and anything that would get too far away from this, I wouldn't trust. They may have the details different, and that's fine. But if they get into something that doesn't seem biblical, that, that just because it's commentary, don't mean it's right. But we know that Jesus Christ reigns in heaven today. He's where he's supposed to be, at the right hand of God. We know that all authority is under his feet. You can find that in Psalms 110. Uh, Paul also talks about this when he's talking to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. We know that Satan and we know that, uh, that man may be able to exercise, uh, some people believe, a, a free choice. But one thing that we all can agree on, whether you believe in free will or not, one thing we all can agree on, it's all under the sovereignty and in the control of God. That we know. Uh, that, is, that, that we agree on. So Jesus Christ is enthroned in heaven today. Psalms chapter 2 tells us that. The resurrection of the saved uh, has not taken place yet, nor the resurrection of the lost. Why do we know that? Paul told Timothy that. 2 Timothy 2, 17-18. So anybody has some sort of belief that this has already happened, it has not happened. There are some people that believe it has, it has not. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 17-18, Paul's telling Timothy it has not. So. When will Jesus return for all this? Nobody knows. Uh, and, and, and Jesus said at the time when he was here with us, he didn't know. Now he, probably, he knows now, I assume. But he said only the Father really knows. So maybe he's sitting there at the right hand of the Father, and uh, if you can understand how the Trinity works, three person and one God, uh, I think Adrian Rogers said that perfectly. If you completely try to understand every detail of it, you'll lose your mind. But if you deny the truth of it, you'll lose your salvation. I think that's about as C student Calhoun County as it can get. Uh, verse 29. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized on their behalf? You see, people were trying to do that. And he says, why are, are, uh, why are we in danger of every hour? He said, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you that I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought the beast of Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, then let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. You know what he's saying there? Be careful you listen to. These people that are telling you there's no resurrection of the dead. If that's the case, then you know what? Then live for the day. Eat, drink, because you have no hope. He said, but what I would suggest since these things are true, and you are being deceived because bad company ruins good morals, I would suggest to the contrary, verse 34, that you wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. He's saying that's the correct thing to do because some people you have to understand, and we got to understand this. It doesn't matter how good a communicator they are, how many followers they have on YouTube, uh, how, many, how many versions of their praise songs they might have sold. Just because they come to you with authoritative voice 
doesn't mean they have any knowledge of God. You know, sometimes people can use these gifts to deceive you as much as these gifts can be used under the authority of Christ to inform you. And he says, for listening to these people, what does he say to him? He says, I'm saying this, and I say this honestly because of your shame. I'm ashamed that some of you have been pulled down this road. And what did Paul say in verse 30 through 32? He said, I die daily. Now, this, uh, this does not retur- refer this time to dying to self, as he talks about Romans 6, uh, but to the physical dangers Paul faced as a servant of Christ. I don't know if you've gone to 2 Corinthians and when he runs the list of all the things that have happened to him for the sake of Christ. Uh, so what he's saying is, I, I, Paul's letting them know that because of my devotion to Christ, I, I'm in constant jeopardy from my enemies. This happens many times to me, and on more than one occasion, I have been close to physical death. And he says, why endure all this if death is the end of it? You know, he's saying, why do you think that when they beat me within an inch of my life and they drag me outside the city gates and Barnabas thinks I'm dead, why do you think when I stood back up, I walked back in there and started preaching again? Why would I endure this if Christ has not been raised from the dead? Why would I endure this if I truly didn't have an encounter with him? Why would I take on this life? They try to kill me all the time. Why would I live like this? He, you know what he said? If, if Jesus has not been raised, I wouldn't live like this. I'd just go eating and drinking all the time and throw a big party because this is all there is. I really, I really will say to you, and, and I'm not proud of this. I really believe if Jesus had not been raised from the dead that I would be one of the most dangerous human beings on the planet. Because if this is all there is and there's no hope for me, I'd be a dangerous person. And, and, and the only reason that I'm not is because I know that this is not all there is and I know that I've been redeemed and I know that one day I'm going to stand before the one and only living God and I fear him. And I'm willing to endure whatever I have to endure to be right with him, even if that means that I'm at odds with you. I love you, but I don't love you more than I love him. And, uh, and, and, and so it, it's one of those things that, that I think we all that have been redeemed, I don't think like Paul, I don't think Paul went through his life after his encounter with Jesus and kept some scorecard that he wanted to always remind everybody about. I think that, that when he got pressed on the issue, he would say, well, look, look at the way I've, I've lived my life, but I really don't believe the way Paul lived his life. This is after the resurrection, of course, with Paul, and then after the resurrection with the new way Peter and John lived. I don't think that, that we saw when they truly had an encounter with the one and only living God and when they encountered the resurrected Christ if you look at the way they lived, I don't think they feared anyone. I don't think they begrudgingly said, well, they're going to take us away again and beat us. They're going to take us. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to lose something else because of Christ. Well, here they go. They're going to come after us again. Maybe we should just try to lay low and not make trouble. They didn't have that attitude at all. You know what? Because they knew this isn't all there is. Do you realize when Paul's in that jail and he's writing to Philippi, and he says, hey, man, I've lost everything because of Christ, but I've come to the conclusion 
you know, if, if you want this right now, we've talked about it before, but it's been a while, and it's going to help some of you that are watching right now and maybe help some of the guys in this room. If you, you know, people always say all the time, what is the, 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 what is the key to life? What is the meaning of life? How do you get to the point to where you can actually be at peace in this life? What is it? I tell you, Paul said it. To live as Christ, to die as gain. I've, I've come to the point that anything that I thought I wouldn't lose because of my devotion of Christ, the, the fact that I've encountered Christ, he is so superior to anything of this world, I consider it to be dung that I have gained Christ. So I realized that, that, it, that I would prefer, think about what he was saying, I would prefer to go on to the presence of the Lord, but that really wouldn't be fair to all of y'all. So if he leaves me here, when, then I'll keep teaching y'all about Jesus because I think God's determined that, that maybe I need to keep serving y'all. So I will. If that's what he wants me to do, that's what I'll do. If I'm of a benefit to you and God's determined that, then I'll stay with you. But no, if he decides to, to let me die today, I'm just going to be in the presence of the one I'd rather be with anyway. I mean, what are you going to do to me? What are you going to do to me? I hope y'all have that. Do y'all have that kind of courage in Christ? What's anybody going to do to you? What's anybody going to do to you? you? You're living in fear of some new variant out of South Africa? Like it's going to get you? What are you afraid of? Why so terrified? I tell you the people that are terrified, the ones that don't know what's going to happen to them if they die. Now, that, now, I'd be terrified too. If I thought that's all it was and when I died, I didn't know what was going to happen, I'd have five masks on. You know, I probably wouldn't leave my room. I'd probably still be doing the show on Zoom. But, but I mean, th- there, there are worth, worse things. i tell you what the most horrible thing is, is to live here and never participate in life at all, never live your life, never get out in the sun, never interact with anybody, hide away and, and, and fear, and then just die and go to hell. You know? I promise you that when I die, the greatest day on my earth is going to, It'll look like nothing compared to my first second in heaven in the presence of the Lord. There's no ball game better than that. There's no concert better than this. There's no day on uh, hunting better than that. There's no, there's no day I got a raise better than that. There's no day that I got an accolade better than that. You know, this, this earth, there's moments we get glimpses of heaven. My wife has been used by God to give me glimpses of heaven. My children have given me glimpses of heaven, but... Family has given me glimpses of heaven. Some great days by myself looking at God's revelation of himself in nature. Those have been good days. But there's still that day that I talk about often. I'll never forget it. I was standing on the continental divide, and I thought to myself, man, this has got to be as close to heaven as you can possibly get. And I remember I was standing there with with Bubba, who who I work with. It's a, a vacation we took together. And he looked at me and he said, but this is his throwaway. This is fallen. Can you imagine what its perfection is going to look like again? We're looking at it after it's fallen. Romans at chapter 8 says what? That even this earth is groaning, waiting for redemption. And when we stand there, it's like the earth is speaking, saying, are you one of them? Are you one of his? Have you been, are, you, are you one of the sons of God? Have you been redeemed by Jesus? You got any idea when he's coming back and fixing this? 
I don't. I don't have any idea when he's going to do it. But I know he's going to. And either I'm going to stand in his presence when my body shuts down, or I'm going to be here when he comes back to get me. But as Paul said, whichever one of those two is going to happen, the fact that he did raise himself from the dead, he will raise me from the dead. And if I don't believe that, then I should be pitied above all people. How do you live your life? Do you live the life like you are serving and have been redeemed by a risen Savior who, who defeated our greatest enemy, and that was sin and death? Are you still trying to figure out some version of some hippie that wants you to be part of some cult? But he's really just a teacher and a whatever. No, Jesus either is who he says he is, as Paul said, or he's the greatest scam of all time. And you got to decide which one of those it is. But I believe, and I know, that he is who he says he is, and that I can only be redeemed in him and him alone. And I'm thankful for his grace, and I'm thankful for his redemption. But as Paul has warned us, I'm not going to listen to people that don't have knowledge of God, and I'm certainly not going to live my life as if that grace on me has been in vain. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your message and this ongoing study of um, 1 Corinthians 15 and even preparing for next week as we get into the part where now you continue to go even further about this resurrection of Jesus and, and what he has done to death. I know right now within the sound of my voice there are people mourning, there are people hurting. Uh, there's people who have had loved ones that have gone on to earthly death before them. There are those that may be laying someone to rest today uh, or they see that daunting day coming. Uh, but, Lord, may we all find hope only in you because you have defeated death. You, Lord, have, have shown that you will raise all of us from the dead. But when we are raised from the dead and we get our glorified body, maybe that be the day that we are found in those that have been redeemed that will spend eternity with you, not the unredeemed that will spend eternity separated from you. And, Lord, if any of those that have been searching and you've, you've brought them into this Bible study today, that right now you'll just speak to their heart. And you'll just speak to their heart. You'll just say, here I am. I have defeated your earthly death, and you too can live eternally with me just simply by repenting of your sin, turning from your sin and turning to Jesus and say, forgive me. I leave faith in myself, and I place my faith in you. If I can help you in any way, you reach out to me. I'd be more than happy to talk to you, either rick at rickandbubba.com or rick at burgessministries.com. Either way, I'd be happy to help you any way that I can. Lord, be with us as we leave this Bible study now. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.